happened. And, and so the plan was that I would go in with his ID and then pass it back. And, and there was going to be six people between us. You know, our other buddies were going to stand in between us. And so I'd get in. The bouncer wasn't really looking at IDs. And so I'd get in and then I'd just pass it back to him. And then he would get in. And it was, I know, it's genius. I know what you're thinking right now. This guy is amazing. And so uh, uh, we, we kind of went through with that plan. I, I got up there and I, I was watching the bouncer. And he wasn't checking IDs. He wasn't even really looking at them. And so when I handed him the ID, you know, I was a little nervous, but I handed it to him. I, I, was, I was playing confident, and he looked at it, and he just started shaking his head. And I was waiting, you know, going in, but, but that's not what he said. He goes, uh, says, here you're 5'9". Now, you can't tell because I'm up here. This is 5'9". Okay, I'm 6'7", <laughs> you know, and... Uh, and I didn't know what to say in that moment. So all that came to me was, well, that's a typo. I'm 519. If you do the math, it works out. Um, and then he looked at it a little bit longer, and he looked at me and looked at it and looked at me. And, and, uh, and then he goes, he read the name, Babak Ali Hadid. And so I said, it is I. And he, he wasn't buying it. And so uh, needless to say, I didn't get in. The guy didn't l- get in and it didn't let me in. And it wasn't a very uh, fun evening. And what I was doing was I was embracing a fake ID. I was embracing an identification that wasn't mine. And it's kind of funny as you guys laughed when you're doing that to try to get into a club. It's not funny when you're doing that going through life. When you continue to grab and to latch on to things that aren't who you are. When you begin to embrace identities that God never meant for you to embrace. And you get to the end of this race and you stand before God and you realize you never really knew who you were. You were never comfortable in your own skin. You never really embraced your one true identity. That your entire life you had been reaching for identities that aren't you. It's it's a little funny when you don't get into a club. It's a whole other thing. When you get up there and you stand before God, he's like, man, that's just, welcome. So glad you're here. That's not who you were. That's not who I intended for you to be. That's just not who you were. And so let me ask you this question that should be fairly simple to answer. You ready? It's just, it's just, it's this. Who are you? Who are you really? Now, the answer that you're going to give me first is a name. It's not who you are. It's a sound your parents gave you at birth. It's not who you are. And so maybe you give me a, a family name. That's not who you are. You know, that was passed on from generation to generation. Maybe you say, well, I'm from this town or this city. This is who I am. That's not who you are. That's where you're from. And then maybe you begin to present to your resume. Well, I went to this school and I did this. And this is what I love. That, that's not who you are. It's a resume. And if you point to your family, that's cool. That's your family. You point to a neighborhood. That's, that's great. That's where you lived. It's not who you are. And maybe you begin to embrace an ethnicity, something intrinsically about you that you can say, well, this is who I am. That's not who you are. It's a detail about you, but it's not who you are. And so I'm just going to give you this question up front, and I'm going to answer it before I I finish this evening from the scriptures. Who are you? And so... um, To answer this question, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you want to turn there on your phones or in your Bibles, I'm not going to go verse by verse, a little more thematically through Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at three 
identities that are in this text that we are tempted to embrace that are fake IDs. They're not real IDs. That's accomplishments, your past, and your desires. Your accomplishments, your past, and your desires. To set this up, what's happening, because it's a Bible study, just so you know the context of this verse, is, is in Philippi, this city, there was this civil war. And that, that happened about 42 years before Christ shows up on the scene. And what happened is the Roman Empire gave the city of Philippi Roman citizenship. Here's why that's a big deal because of 70 million people in the Roman Empire, only 9% of them had Roman citizenship. And so these people were tempted to to embrace identities uh, from that. Like you might be tempted to embrace your family name or something about you that is not who God really meant for you to be identified by. Something worldly. And then not to, to kind of top that off, there were these other people there called Judaizers and what they would find identity in were these religious activities. And so they wouldn't really claim you as theirs unless you did, went through these religious rituals. And that's who Paul writes this letter to, uh, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul writes. I circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, I am faultless. Now, what does that mean? I'm just going to put it in modern day terms for you. He's saying, you want to talk about family? I was born to the right parents. They've got connections everywhere. You want to talk about education? I graduated from Baylor University, summa cum laude. You want to talk about power? I have the authority over my enemies. You want to talk about religion? I never missed a day of church. I've memorized more Bible than you've forgotten. You want to talk about discipline? I haven't slept through a workout in decades. You want to talk about, am I respected? Older men call me for advice. Money, stuff, status, Paul wins. Better than you in every way. And so this man who has all of these accomplishments and all of these things that he can find identity in is going to speak to us tonight this intrinsic truth, this eternal truth that God has preserved for us this evening that we would learn where our real identity comes from. But whatever, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All these things I consider loss. I found something better. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. The Greek word scrupula, it's like, it's like human excrement. He says, crap, they're crap to me. I say that because Paul did. It's like a, it's like a curse word in the scripture. He says, rubbish. It's trash. Now we read that. Maybe you knew that verse. But we don't do that. I mean, I mean, come on, Paul. I mean, what can I, I can find identity in, in my looks and things I've done, right? I mean, what I'm good at, right? I can look and I can just kind of stare in the mirror and, right? What about the things I've done, Paul? The first fake idea I want to talk about is your worldly accomplishments. The things that you've done that you're tempted to find identity in is, as Paul's saying, he's better than you based on just about any measuring tool that you want to use. And he says, I no longer point to the things that I've accomplished. He, he's listed these things not to brag and not to boast and not because he finds identity in, but because he has all the authority and all the credibility that says that you shouldn't. Don't fall into that trap from Satan. And it's an age old trap. 
that you're going to leave here and be tempted to find identity in your accomplishments. This man who's accomplished it all is saying, hey, here's what really matters. And so what are fake IDs that we embrace? It, it, one can be like, this is crazy because I'm right here. I'm standing right here. But one can be where you go to school. It's like, that's who I am. It's not who you are. It's an interesting detail about you. It's not who you are. What sorority or fraternity you're in. Did you get in? Did you not? Which one? Which one accepted you? How did you rush that story that you tell over and over and over? How about your GPA? Or what internship you got? Or who your parents are? Or, or maybe you grew up in the church and you're tempted to say, you know, I've been to Africa and Haiti and, and the Amazon, the international trips that you've been on. Or maybe there's something unique about you that's your ethnicity and so you feel different from others and so you begin to embrace that as your identity. Or something you have, like what you drive, or, or, or maybe it's on social media how many followers you have, or maybe it's this relationship that you put way too much time and, and invest way too much attention and maybe it's who you're dating. And what are you prone to look to? Like You, you need to answer that for you. Before we go any further in, in this text, you need to know what is the thing that I'm most tempted to kind of present to people so that they'll think better about me? We never really stop collecting trophies, you know. It's just like, like insecure sixth graders that bring our friends into the back room to say, hey, see this? T-ball, that's right. That's me. What? I mean, what is it today? You know, is it frat shirts, sorority shirts? What are, you, what are you collecting? What do you point to? Is it a GPA? Is it likes? I mean, is there anything crazier than that? You go back and check how many people like that picture. Which one, which one gets me up higher? What kind of picture do they really like? It's identity talk. They're not bad things. They're just not who you are. Everything that we accomplish here will one day be completely irrelevant right I mean uh, it's like perspective we have to gain any anybody here in pageants ever do pageants that a thing for anybody somebody oh yeah I see you there you go handsome young man anybody else besides him do pageants yeah okay some of you a few of you kind of an ugly crowd tonight that's okay though that's all right I don't I mean no offense I wasn't in pageants either um, nobody here is in their tiara, though. Nobody showed up tonight. See this bad boy? That's right. I won that. 2015, what? Nobody did, right? I mean, and, and some of you have amazing athletic accomplishments. Like, like anybody, anybody letter as a freshman? Yeah, athletic crowd. I like it. Uh, and it's kind of chilly tonight. None of you wore your letter jacket. None of you broke that bad boy out. I was like, hey, you see those? Oh, wait, well, you did. That's okay. I didn't mean to call you out. That's all right. Um, no big deal. The things that are important to you today, like this is the perspective I want you to gain. And just, just consider with me. You, you, you test this and see if it's true. The things that are most important to you today, that relationship, that frat, the sorority, that, that grade, getting that professor, the things that are they're going to be as important as those things today. Those were the things that kept you up one night that today are rubbish. And the things that keep you up tonight will be that tomorrow. And, you, and you, it's hard to believe 
but it's true. If it doesn't matter in eternity, it's not part of your identity. I want you to write that down. If it doesn't matter in eternity, it's not part of your identity. And so you have to answer the question, what accomplishments are most important to you right now? What are the ones that you're most tempted to embrace? And what I'm telling you, and, and I believe this with all my heart, and it's why I left my, my family to be with you tonight in this very important place, because I believe you're the future. You, have, you, you test this. Like, don't just take my word for it. Test it. You go home tonight, and you pray. And say, God, was that guy, was he right? Was he, was he true? What he said, is it true? Everything that you do with your life outside of pointing to Christ will not matter one day. Not one bit. The things that are knobs to your emotions that make you happy and sad, bring you up and down, that keep you awake at night, that you wake up thinking about. The thing that pulls you out of the bed outside of pointing to Jesus won't matter. If it doesn't matter in eternity, it's not part of your identity. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying, hey, why am I going to claim my own righteousness when I can claim the righteousness of the perfect God, Jesus Christ? Why am I going to point to my accomplishments when I can point to his? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. I want to die like him and raise like him. The greatest thing about Paul, what he's saying, the greatest thing about me is not what I've done, but what someone did for me. The greatest thing about me is not something I've done, but something someone did for me. Like I can point to my Sunday school awards or I can point to the resurrection, the one who rose from the dead. I'm going to point to that all day long. And so we hold the world loosely and live for Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain, he writes. See, I think those things that I mentioned earlier, they're how we play this funny game in life, how we keep score. We're always keeping score, collecting trophies, keeping score. There was this game earlier this year, and it was the Brown University Bears. They were playing the Bryant University Bulldogs. And the Bulldogs freshman guard had the ball with 3.8 seconds left, and he dribbled out the clock because the score was 91 to 90. And when the buzzer went off, he threw the ball up in victory. Here's a picture. He throws the ball up, 91 to 90. He dribbled out the clock. Problem. He was looking at the wrong score. He lost the game for them. He was looking at the wrong score. Can you imagine the conversation in the locker room? God, I know that I didn't really live for you down there, but I was beautiful. I know that I didn't really live for you, but did you see my girl? I know that I didn't really have those conversations, but did you see my GPA, God? I was an amazing student. I know that I didn't really live for you down there, but did you see what I drive, what I did? I mean, did you see my resume? I'm really proficient in Microsoft Word. You were looking at the wrong score. You were looking at the wrong score. My first point, you 
are identified by what Christ accomplished meant, what, what Christ accomplished not your, in your own accomplishments. Let me say that again. You are identified by what Christ accomplished not in your own accomplishments. The accomplishment that you are most proud of or should be, they, they need to be the ones who God, where God allowed you to share Christ with others. And that's why he says this in verse 12. Not that I have already attained this, I'm not there yet, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, the things that are behind me, and I I strain toward that which is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, He says, Paul writes, I'm not looking back, I don't keep going back, to that time, that night, that the prom night, the thing we did, the thing that I did at that party, that the thing that I don't keep going back to that. I'm, I'm looking now ahead. Not where I've been, but where I'm going. Fake ID number two is being identified by your past. See, some of you, you're here tonight and you came in and you're sitting there with shame and guilt and you can't really see Christ's forgiveness past what you've done. When you look at the cross, you don't see a prize, you see your past. But Paul, who is way worse than you, by show of hands, anybody murder Christians? Paul, who's way worse than you, says, that's not who I'm identified by. I mean, he's not sitting here thinking, man, I can't believe I did that to Stephen. Man, I killed Stephen. I mean, Stephen loved Jesus, and I threw rocks at him until his heart stopped. And check this out, because this one's a little sensitive. He's not sitting here being owned by what's happened to him. I know that's sensitive for some of you. When I say that, your brain flashes. You're, you're trying not to even think about what happened, what that uncle did and the thing, and I know. But he's not sitting here owned by what happened to him either. Remember in Lystra? Remember what happened in Lystra? They, they beat him until they thought that he was dead. They literally thought he was not breathing anymore. And it's his boys, like it's people that he used to run with because he persecuted the church with them and now he's a part of the church. And so they beat him. They clubbed him. They threw stuff at him till they thought his heart wasn't beating anymore. And then they take him and they drag him outside the city and they put him with a trash. And he comes to his consciousness and he gets up and he dusts himself off and he goes back in for the sake of Jesus Christ and right here as he writes this now I can't believe what they did to me I'll never forgive them I'll never forget he says hey I'm pressing on toward the goal let's go one day it ain't gonna matter I'm pressing on toward the goal I don't mean to be flipping about that terrible thing I'm just giving you hope from the word of God I hope to anyways sometimes people will tell me like I'll talk to them and and say, hey, you're going to go to heaven? You're going to be in heaven one day with me? We're going to be up there? Vertical reunion and beyond? And they're like, man, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I don't know. Why not? What's up? What? Dude, I've just done some things. I've just done some. I've just, I've just done some. I don't know, man. I don't know if God can forgive me. And I think that we think for a moment that's humble. It's not humble. It's extremely arrogant. Jesus' death and resurrection, it can forgive Paul, the one who murdered Christians, but I don't know if it can forgive me for what I did on prom night, you know. 
I don't know if you could forgive me for what I did to get in that fraternity, that sorority, that thing that I did, that I promised I never, that abortion, that thing, the pornography, the computer, the images. I, I, don't, I don't know if Christ's death is big enough for me. Nothing humble about that. And God goes to great lengths to say, it is, it is my joy for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That he loves to extend mercy to you. He loves to remove your transgressions as far as the east from the west. I just got to ask you, are you going to believe that? Are you, are you going to stop thinking you know better than God? And start embracing forgiveness. And take that mess and make it your message. And move forward. If your bad actions can keep you from heaven, then your good actions can get you there. And I will tell you, as, as lovingly as I can, you're not bad enough to miss heaven or good enough to get there on your own. See, what God did, being sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth, is he determined what your sins cost, and then he covered the bill. Then he paid for it. That's what he did. He determined what your sins would cost, and then he paid for it. And the problem with God, who can do all things, is the one, th- one thing that he can't do is he can't see a debt he paid. He cannot see a debt that he erased, a debt that he paid. God, who's just can't do that. And so Christ's radical forgiveness, it doesn't belittle your sin. It magnifies his grace. It doesn't make not a lot of your sin. It makes so much of his grace. Dale said, I got arrested here. It's true, I did. And... um, and I, got a, I, was, I was at an apartment that I think was like right here and got torn down and they built this amazing facility. But I was like sitting there in a hot tub and, and was drinking and I was underage and I was drunk and, and the police came and kind of raided the party and, and there I was and, and, um, and I, it cuffed me, put me in the back of the car, took me to the police station where I stayed the night and, and, um, and my, you know, I was so ashamed. They were like, hey, you got to call somebody. And I was like, who do I call? They're like, call your dad. I'm like, dude, how about I call your dad? <laughs> I'm not calling my dad. And, uh, but I did. And, and, uh, and I tell, told him, you know, and I, I didn't know a lot about the legal system at the time. But there was this conversation that was really important to everybody. And that was like, it can't go on your record. And I was like, what is this record that sits somewhere, this file that evidently anybody can pull and somehow everyone can know that I was drunk in college. It's like this record's going to follow me. Like I'm going to be in a job interview and be like, hey, well, I'm really proficient in Microsoft Word and I got an MIP MPI and I'm sorry. You know, it's like this thing's just going to be like tattooed on my forehead, this record. And I remember we didn't have a lot of money, but I remember my parents taking all the money they had to get this attorney to, to try to get this off my record. And I remember the day. That, that we celebrated. They were like, it's not on your record. It's not on your record. It's not going to go with you. I don't have to be in a job interview talking about that MIP and PI I got at Baylor. It's not on my record. And this is what God's saying to you right now. It's not on your record, bro. It's not on your record. Your porn problem, it's not on your record. Your abortion, not on your record thing you did with that boy that you know you shouldn't have done last night it's not on your record it's not on your right if, if you have embraced Christ's forgiveness this is so great news that you don't have to carry that through life that it's not on your record even that thing that happened to you you don't have to carry that with you you can forgive and drop that weight and stop carrying it around looking to the future, right? And so you, you're like, you're not, but I had sex. Okay, I guess you did. And stop. It's not on your record. Remember that time that you 
drank too much and you threw up all over the place? Why do you remember that? God doesn't. That website you keep going back to, control and sexual abuse. Some of you, you're here, you're like, not me, JP. Not me. Talk about pride from not partying. Maybe that's you. You're tempted to boast in your Sunday school award and how good you are. You, you might trick yourself into believing that God needs you. That he needs your righteous deeds. And your righteous deeds are bigger than Christ's righteous deeds. It's not on your record. You are identified by Christ's payment, not your past. Second point. You are identified by Christ's payment, not your past. He says he's looking toward the prize. Verse 15, he's looking toward the prize. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What, is, what does this mean? He, he's saying, why would we focus on our past when we, we focus on Christ's payment and the prize that Christ offers? Verse, verse 14, we, we live up to the prize that we've already won. What does that mean? Just, just think about it with me for a moment if I'm here and, and um, is this okay? Everybody's like, is that all right? I'm going to walk down here. And I'm in this race and we're on a track, so it's only appropriate. And the, the guy's there with the gun, the starter pistol, you know, on your mark, gets set. Boom. And, but before he does, but before he does, he says, come here. Everybody else got disqualified. You won. All we need you to do is finish the race. You've already won. The prize is yours. We just need you to cross the finish line. And so I'm there, right, to go back. I'm here. And he says, on your mark, get set. Boom. And I run. And I run. And I fall. What I'm not going to do is going to be like, no. I'll never win. I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to get up because I'm a runner, not a faller. Right? I'm a runner, not a follower. And the prize is already mine. And all I got to do is finish the race. And nobody else is going to beat me. So I'm going to stay down. I'm not going to stay down. I'm not going to sit there in my pity. Oh, I can't believe I fell. I'm going to get up and I'm going to finish. And so why are you staying down? Sitting in your junk. When he comes, he's coming. He's like, man, don't you understand what I did? I paid for it. I finished. See, some of you like I gotta say this, like you got gospel fatigue. I mean, you've been hearing that message, you've been hearing church bells since you were this big. Right? You've heard it, oh no, man, G Easter, died for my sins, rose from the dead, yada yada yada. You bored with the gospel? Is that what's going on? You bored with the gospel? Wake up and preach it to yourself every day. Go to bed and preach it to yourself every day. It's the most important truth in the world. He died for your sins. You needed him to. Don't be bored with the gospel. Verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Surround yourself with other brothers and sisters like 
Like change your playmates in your playground if you have to. Like find people who know God and love you and love God and know you and surround yourself with those people and only those people. That, that you lock arms with those people. For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, think about what's happening here. He's writing this letter and he's so moved by the Holy Spirit and with emotion as he pens what he's about to write down. As he starts weeping, tears start pouring from his eyes as he's writing this. And I tell you now, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their death is, uh, their destiny is destruction. That's hell. They're going to go to hell. Their God is their stomach. What does that mean? Their God is their stomach. What does that mean? It's this. They eat whatever they're hungry for. What does that mean? Their God is their stomach. You ready? This is important. They follow their feelings. They do what they want to do. They don't say, God, what should I do? They say, what do I want to do? That's what I will do. That that if, if God didn't want me to do this, he wouldn't have given me these desires. So I'll do it. Their God is their stomach. Their, they worship their appetite for sin. And they feed. Take me to church. And people who get whatever they want are dysfunctional. You're going to see that. You're going to see friends who go through mental health struggles. Not because of what happened to them and hurts but because they had everything they wanted. And they're going to get to a really bad place. Remember that I said that. That's important. And their glory is in their shame. They, they glory in their shame. The locker room conversations, man, guess what I did? Guess who I did? Guess where we did? Their mind is set on earthly things. And friends, I have to say that one again, and that's important to underline it in your Bible. Th- those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their mind is set on earthly things things fake id number three is your earthly desires your earthly desires those things that are you you are identified by that are earthly desires you say things like well i'm a i'm a foodie you know i i love shopping it's just kind of who i am i kind of picture myself as a gossip girl or a gilmore girl or a sex in the city girl or or you're like i'm a leg guy i'm a boob guy no you're a dumb guy all right, that's, that's what you are. You, you, you begin to identify yourself by the things that you want. You speak identity over your desires. And it says these are enemies. Who, who's enemies across the Christ? ISIS? No, 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 no. Those who are defined by their earthly desires are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so many people you know that you'll share class with call evil good and good evil. And they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomach. They eat what they're hungry for. You feed your preferences. And you cannot stomach the hunger pangs of discomfort. You have to be comfortable. At at any given time, you have to change the thermostat to sit in comfort. And the hunger pangs of your desires are overwhelming, be it your sexual identity or your drunkenness, the next party, your substance abuse, your pornography problem that you describe as a struggle that really you fully embraced. Your glory is in your shame. And there's no place, listen, there's no place, listen, there's no place in eternity for you with God. Unless. It's a beautiful unless. 
you embrace the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That gospel you're bored with. His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive a new life. You change your playmates in your playground, not for salvation, but because you're saved. You surround yourself with his people. And you glory in his glory, not your shame. Be careful not to celebrate the things Christ died for. God loves you. And he loves you. He's crazy about you. And he delights in forgiving you. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's where we find identity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will transform our lowly bodies. That we will be like his glorious body. That's how this ends. What are we holding on to then? In that moment when the sky cracks open and rolls back like a scroll. And Jesus Christ comes in and he's ready to take us home. What are we holding on to? What trinkets and treasures and trophies? What accomplishments? are you holding on to identities are you holding on to then what matters then who are you then what matters in that moment third point you are identified by your eternal destination not your earthly desires you are identified by your eternal destination not your earthly desires okay this is where you got to wake up and i got need you to lean in and if you've forgotten everything, this is where it's, it's complicated, okay? We're going to go trigonometry here for a minute. So, so I, need you, I need you to catch this. Try to stay with me. Tune in. This is important. The truest thing about you is where you will, stand, where, where you will spend eternity, okay? This is the truest thing about you. This is a game changer. This is why I think Paul was not identified by his accomplishments, his past mistakes, the things that happened to him, or his earthly desires. That if, if I was to answer the question, who you are, right? If I said who you are, when I asked that question earlier, listen, tune in. If I say, who are you? What you begin to answer that question is who you are at 19. If you're 22 years old, you begin to answer as a 22-year-old. You don't say, well, you know, when I was, when I was three years old, uh, or, you're, you know, when I was learning to walk, or you don't say, well, who am I? Well, in kindergarten, no, you answer that question in this like really great finality of this is who I am right now. We don't have any like past or future uh, context for the answer to that question. We say, when somebody says, who are you? And you say, well, this is who I am. And you think about it in terms of right now. You guys follow, if you're following me, give me a uh, good nod. You're right. When somebody says, who am I? I don't think about being a baby. I don't think about being 80. I think about myself right now. That, that's how I'm going to answer that question, who I am right now. And, and when you're dead... At your funeral, people are going to talk about you in like the sum of your life. They're not going to talk about when you were a toddler or when you were learning to walk or, or things in kindergarten. They're going to talk about kind of the sum of your life, really what they knew when they knew you, who you were, probably kind of towards the end of your life, right? But here's where I need you to follow me. And so we were all born. And so if you see this kind of timeline, there you are. Everyone here was born. Everyone here kind of comes up on the scene and, and you all lived for some number of years. You had a lifespan, Okay, and so there's the lifespan. And then here's the crazy truth that you all need to embrace. Every single person here is going to die. And so everyone's going to go in the grave. And so roughly, on average, that's about 70, uh, 76 years. 
Okay, so that's what you got. That, that's how long you're going to be here. About 76 years, God willing. And so you're all somewhere on that timeline. So for me, for example, I'm 36 years old. And so I fall right about right in the middle of that timeline. That's where I'm God willing, right? I mean, I may die on the way home, but if God gives me 76 years, I'm somewhere, I've got half my life in front of me, half my life behind me. You ask me who I am, I'm going to say, this is who I am at 36 years of age. I've got three kids, a wife, I've been married for 12 years, married a beautiful Baylor bear, sick him. And, um, <laughs> and I got to tell you, like, I don't know if you ever think, man, I wish I could go back and talk to myself in high school. And tell myself in high school, like my freshman year, what's really important. Wish I could go back and talk to myself because I'd do it way different. Anybody do it different? I'd do it different. See, the reason I'm with you tonight, it's really clear. This is why I'm here. Um, I wish I could go back and talk to myself at 18. Like right before college. You know, like, like I wish I could go back and, and, and have a conversation with myself and say, Hey, stop being stupid. Don't drink on a Baptist university's campus. That's dumb. You know, I would say those things. And, uh, and, and, and don't use fake IDs. These are the kinds of lessons I teach myself. And Jesus Christ is everything. But I want you to think about if, if who you are, okay, this is where it gets confusing. If you're not already confused, who you are is who you are the longest. Then who you really are is who you are in eternity. That's who you really are. Who you are a hundred years from now 600 years from now, 6 billion years from now. That's who you are now. If that person, the one who is glorified with Christ in paradise, could come back and speak with you today about prioritizing your life, like they could come back to today and have a conversation with you today, what would they tell you? Like if you can answer this question in one moment, you can gain incredible wisdom. If in one moment you say, well, my eternal self, myself with God, myself six billion years from now, if they could have a conversation with me today and, and tell me what's really important, this is what they'd say. That's a game changer. I really want you to leave here and think about that one. And so as you stand before God and you're with him, what ID is he going to check at the door? It's not going to be your accomplishments, but Christ's accomplishment. He's not going to talk to you in that moment about your past, but Christ's payment. And he's not going to care or be interested in that moment about your earthly desires, but your eternal destination, are you a, citizenship, a citizen of heaven? Is your citizenship of heaven? Can you imagine what that eternal self would tell you? The only thing that is real about you is that which lasts forever. That which is going to matter in eternity. We went and saw the movie Lion the other day. My wife and I, Monica and I. You know, had anybody seen it? The movie Lion? You should see it. There's several you should see. Case for Christ right now. Everyone here should see it. It's phenomenal. The Shack, thought it was pretty good. Um, Lion, um, it moved me. I know some of you are like, The Shack, did he just say that? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, there were some stats. It's about a, a, a kid who gets lost in India and 
gets on a train and has to fend for himself. There's some stats at the end of the movie that just kind of messed me up. One was that 80,000 children go missing in India each year. 80,000 are are sold into a place where their organs are uh, sawed out or into the sex trafficking industry. 80,000. And I got in the car and Monica was like, are you okay? And I was like, I've been crying. I was like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I hope I'm not okay. I hope I'm not okay with that. I don't want to just go back home to my central air and heat, my house, my car, my garage, and just be okay with 80,000 Presleys and Finleys and Weston, that's my kids' names, 80,000 of them going missing every year. I don't want to be okay with it. I don't want to be numb to that anymore. And I I stumbled across another stat. It's 21,000 people won't see the sunset today. 21,000 people woke up this morning and they won't go to bed because they didn't have food to eat. 21,000. And another one is 58 million people have been killed in the womb since Roe v. Wade. 58 million. What am I going to do with my life? think I'm just going to chase the American dream? You think I'm just going to try to make money and pursue pleasure and use any gifts that God gave me and waste them on me? Waste them on me? Ring out my life on pleasures and momentary comforts while 80,000 children go missing, 21,000 people die and millions others. What are you going to do with your life? You're at a crossroad. Some of you, you're here tonight, you're completely distracted by all the wrong things. And you, some of you, you hear this right now and you're numb to it. You're like, you're telling me to boil the ocean, dude. No, I'm not. I'm telling you to do something. Stop like a dog to his vomit going back to that website. Stop like a little pet pursuing that boy. Surround yourself with godly people and change the freaking world. Okay? Let me pray you would. Father, thank you for these very, very gifted people. I'm so proud that they would steward their lives in such a way that they would be here tonight to worship the creator of the heavens and the earth, to acknowledge you as the one true God to embrace the forgiveness from your son, Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anything, God, you're sovereign over my words, anything that I said that is inconsistent with your character and your spirit and your will for their lives, I pray before they stand that it would be forgotten. But Father, anything that I said that is consistent with your desires for the rest of their days on this planet, I pray that it would stir in their hearts and they would be able to shake it, that they get in their car and and have unrest, a holy angst, a desire to make you famous with any gifts and treasures that you've entrusted to them. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.